the editor of World Review. Later on, we'll have Sean Newkirk and David Lesky on to, to discuss the uh, Tim Hill trade and break down what a potential 30-man opening day roster will look like for the Royals. But first, we want to continue our preview of American League Central Division opponents. And today, we're looking at the Cleveland Indians with Matt Lyons of Let's Go Tribe. Matt, thanks for being on the show today. No problem, Max. Thanks for having me. Well, the uh, the Indians have been kind of the class of the division the last couple of years. Uh, they won 93 games last year, but they did miss the playoffs for the first time since 2015. Um, looking back on last year, what were kind of their strengths, strengths and weaknesses, and what were they looking to accomplish going into the offseason? I think one of the big weaknesses is just the fact that Jose Ramirez got off to such an awful start, and of course the whole team, as they've done, even what well, they've been really good, got off to a slow start, and then they... They picked it up. They went on that big, fun run and caught up to the Twins. Um, they had all that. The pitching staff was great throughout, even with all the injuries they had. Um, that was their biggest thing last year. Just so many people were hurt. Um, and obviously still won 93 games with all the injuries they had. But um, it seems like the past few years, the same we've been having the same conversation on Let's Go Tribe and pretty much everywhere for the Indians is just what in the world is the outfield and who's going to be the best start. It's just the same, the same couple conversations because the outfield has just never been solved for the Indians. Um, even now, they're going in. They went in the first spring training with somewhere like 11 outfielders. Even now, they're they're approaching that with how many they have that are all similar talent level. And it's just going to be hard if they, they pick the right set of outfielders. Maybe they have a great run over 60 games. If not, it's going to be another disaster offensive out there. But uh, they didn't add a whole lot to, to address that need in the offseason. It's a little difficult. And at least we'll have Francisco Lindor one more year and a pitching staff that's that's really great. Um, I mean, even last year, Shane Bieber came on. He was great. Mike Clevenger, when he wasn't injured, he was really good. Um, obviously, they don't Trevor Bauer or Corey Kluber anymore, but um, that's the strength of the team last year was the pitching staff, and I'm hoping that continues again. Yeah, well, I'm glad you touched on Corey Kluber a little bit because that, that was kind of, I think, the most surprising trade they made in the offseason, at least surprising, I guess, from, from out, the outsider's perspective. And I know, you know the Indians came so close to winning it just a couple years ago. And they've had a really good team since then. And I think it seems like their model is kind of building a sustainable winner. Uh, so they don't have that big drop off kind of like the Royals did. You know, they, they, they fell off the table the last couple of years. And so, but, you know, that sounds great in paper, on paper. But uh, in reality, that means trading away some of your more popular players. Um, how do Indians fans kind of uh, deal with, you know, you, you talk about the outfield, not really the, the team wasn't very aggressive addressing the outfield and trading away guys like Corey Kluber. How do fans kind of react to those kind of moves? At this point, it just feels like same old, same old for me, an Indians fan, dating back to like Victor Martinez um, when he left. I mean, it's just forever that it's just kind of the thing that happens in Cleveland. You get your stars, they come if they're um, if you manage to sign them early, like Jose Ramirez, they stick around. But otherwise, they're they're Jim Tomey and they're on the White Sox for a couple of years. So I think we're all um, what do you call that when you're um, Stockholm syndrome? <laughs> we're just so used to it at this point that all the great players leave at one point. I mean, Lindor, he's another one on the table who's going to be probably traded if not the season, then afterwards, because uh, he's not going to be, be signed and stuck around. So um, I think with the Corey Kluber one in particular, it hurt um, on an emotional level just because everybody around here loves Corey Kluber. But also if you really, um, I mean, really look at it, Corey Kluber, it was, he was starting to show some signs that maybe he's not the same Corey Kluber last year. Um, he's starting to walk more guys. Even before he was injured, he was having some issues. Um, so I was always, I, I hated that they, on the emotional level, they made the Corey Kluber trade, but I also understood it um, even before Manuel Classe at his suspension. Uh, he was looking like a really good reliever, so that would have um, that would have eased the ball a little bit. But obviously, now he had a PED suspension, so he's not even going to be here all season long. Well, 
Corey Kluber, who could benefit greatly from a shortened season, is going to be pitching in Texas with that same um, shortened season. So um, I don't know. Yeah, it's just kind of the thing that we're used to now to see it happen. Um, Lindor's coming up. It was it happened with. Um, I mean, Carlos Santana was in Philadelphia, but he ended up coming back. And then we'll see if when their next crop of stars come up, which are hopefully soon, they'll see how long they stick around. Well, let's talk about some of those uh, young, the, some of the young crop that we might see. Uh, you know, the Indians, I think, have been known for having a pretty good pipeline of, of minor league talent. Are there some rookies that you think could have an impact this year that um, that maybe get a chance to show what they can do at the big league level? Yeah, and it actually goes back to um, someone I didn't mention talking about trades is Jan Gomes. They traded him uh, last offseason to the to the now World Series Nationals. I didn't. I, I was okay with that trade from the beginning because I think Roberto Perez is a great pitcher or a great catcher. And they got back from that um, a pitcher named Jeffrey Rodriguez who stood in for injuries last season. They also got an outfielder named Daniel Johnson who's been impressing um, a lot around here. It's his, he's had a surprising amount of power, which he never really had in the Washington system. But in AAA with the Indians, he had a lot. He had a couple home runs in summer camp. He's looked really good. But um, he's going to start with the the extended 60-man squad for now. But, I mean, if, if uh, things don't go well for the outfield, I think we could see him up at some point. Um in the bullpen, I, I'm pretty sure he still qualifies as a rookie. Is James Karinchak? He was up a little bit last season, but he was just a um, he is just an unhinged animal out there, and it's great and it's fun to watch. He's always doing finger guns everywhere. He's yelling at himself, <laughs> and he's a great reliever. Gets um, a lot of velocity. Has a just a disgusting curveball. So he's going to be the most fun to watch. Which um, I mean, as an Indians fan, they they have a history of a good pipeline, but relievers have not been their specialty. So it's kind of neat to see that they might have James Karinchak as a great closer that they developed and he's just a wild effective um, pitcher back there. Well, we know the Indians are going to be led of course by Jose Ramirez and Francisco Lindor, but what, what, are, what does a starting lineup look like right now with a couple days away from opening day? Uh, and what's, what's, who are some guys you're looking to, to make the team on the bench? I think it's, it's so much up in the air. Cause again, the outfield is just such a, such a weird thing. The infield is pretty much set. Um, they're all switch hitters, <laughs> which is kind of neat. Uh, Francisco Lindor, Jose Ramirez, Cesar Hernandez, um, and Carlos Santana. That's that's pretty cool. They got all of them are switch hitters, and Roberto Perez is going to be the catcher, obviously. So that I mean that the whole infield I think is one of the best in baseball, and that's set. That's going to be the top five of the lineup, almost guaranteed. Um, and then Fran Morey is probably as a DH or somewhere on the outfield. If they stick him there. The, the real big question is just which of the 20 outfielders they have are going to stick around. Bradley Zimmer has been really impressive after being injured. Um, I mean, his brother is on the Royals, Kyle Zimmer. But he's a really interesting player just because he's so fast. He's had such a long swing for the longest time that he has a potential for power, but his strikeout issues have really kept him down. Um, but he seems to fix some things. Yu Chang, an infielder who they've had, um, who had a ton of power in the majors, that he seems to have fixed something to... Um, less than his strikeout issue. So I think there's a lot of really fringe players that are exciting. Um, even like Mike Freeman, who's not exactly exciting. He's a utility guy who um, was surprisingly effective last year. He's looked good in camp. I think he's going to be probably win the utility role out of camp. Um, yeah, I think a lot of the lineup is probably set. It's just a, just a big mess on the outfield. And of course, Tyler Naquin out there too, uh, Oscar Mercado in center field. So it's just which one of those guys is going to be shuffled in and out, and I'm sure we won't see a consistent outfield for more than a week or more in the regular season. Well, we know the Indians, kind of their bread and butter has been pitching, especially starting pitching. Uh, Kluber is no longer there. Trevor Bauer was traded last July. Who are some of the names we can expect to see in the rotation? I think uh, their, their opening day starter, Shane Bieber, I think he's going to be really good. Uh, All-star game MVP last year. The fact that he even made the All-Stars team was a surprise. 
as he was a last minute um, addition there. And I mean, he was one, he's one that I think Indians fans at a up for a while just because he was spending the minors. He just never walked anybody. Um, and that's mostly translated to the majors. He had like a 4% walk rate last year. Um, and he struck out more than we ever thought he would when he got up to the majors. So I, I think he's a borderline Cy Young candidate. Same goes for Mike Lavender when he's not injured for the whole year. I think he's going to be another great pitcher. Carlos Carrasco coming back from his um, leukemia diagnosis. He's one of the guys that, I mean, if he wanted to, he could opt out of the season and still receive full, full pay, but he seems to want to go for it. And um, he had a really tough season last year. I think he'll be a lot better this year. And then after that, there's Aaron Savali, who's just an interesting, sort of like a Corey Kluber mini kind of pitcher. Not only does he look like him a little shorter, but he also he, he has a similar um, pitched out of Kluber, which is interesting. Um, Zach Plesak, he's just super athletic. Um, and then from then on, just Adam Pluko maybe as a sixth option. Um, it just depends on those last couple. But I think the top three or four, um, depending on how good you think Aaron Savali can be, is, is pretty much set for the Indian. It's going to be exciting to watch them, especially in a short season where each of them could, could rack up so many starts over a percentage of starts over such a short season, I think will be neat to see. I'm glad you said Bieber was a, a borderline Cy Young candidate because we – we have our predictions article coming out this week, and I picked Bieber to win the American League Cy Young Award. I think I, I'm pretty impressed with this stuff, and I think he's got a real chance to take a step forward this year. So I'm excited to kind of see what he can do, as long as it's not against the Royals. Um, I think you know I think the bullpen is going to be really important for teams this year because we know the starting pitchers probably have to ease into the season. Uh, what is the Indians bullpen looking at looking like at this point? Uh, it's another mixed bag, just like um, the lineup. I mean, they have Brad Hand. He was really good in the beginning, got himself an Arsenal vote last year, and then he kind of faded off. And this year's velocity it doesn't seem to be there in camp so far, so that's going to be a big question mark. But they also have um, Nick Whitgren. We talked about James Karinczak. He's going to be really good. Um, I think their bullpen is going to be – I miss the days of Andrew Miller, Brian Shaw, and Cody Allen being back there every single day. But there is a lot of exciting – um, or I guess an exciting unnamed James Karinczak there's a couple down lower in the minors but um, I don't know it's always interesting with Terry Francona too because he carries so many pitchers um, just to see who he's going to use back there but Adam Simber is another one that they got uh, they, he came along with Brad Hand in the trade for Francisco Mejia a couple years ago um, he struggled a little bit but he's, he's fun to watch because he's a submariner and he's just kind of some change um, for opposing batters so uh, I don't know I think Nick Wickren is one they got from the Marlins last year. He was he was surprisingly good. I know there were some Marlins fans that didn't like to see him go, and it's nice that he's here in, in Cleveland and helping out now because I think he's going to be um, really good. He, I think he'd be a setup guy if Brad Hand starts to falter and Karen Chak is the the closer. But I guess we'll just we'll see how it goes. I think Brad Hand's going to start as the closer just because Tito likes his guys being where they are, and then it'll be shuffled around as we go. What is the uh, expectation for from Indians fans as far as the season? I know it's kind of a weird season. And when you have a shortened season where it's only 60 games, like a lot more randomness could happen. I mean, we know the Twins took the division last year, uh, but the Indians, you know, always seem to be in the hunt. What, what are fans uh, expecting for 2020? I think that's that about right, in the hunt. I would like to – I wish we were further ahead than just in the hunt, but as the Twins are getting players like Josh Donaldson, the Indians respond by signing Domingo Santana, who might not even make the team. It's kind of hard to see them – rocketing above or in front of the twins unless the twins last year was all just a bunch of outliers and they're going to regress this year but yeah i think the indians are, are easily in the hunt as long as they don't get off to a really slow start and have to trade francisco lindor between the august trade deadline i, th- I don't think they're there's too much of a, a question they could at least compete and if they're not going to pass the twins be right there with them at the end and 
make it interesting over these couple months. Yeah, I think it's going to be interesting seeing how teams respond to the pennant race where it's like by August 31st, I mean, like every team's going to be with them like five or six games of first place, it seems like. I mean, even the Royals will probably be no more than 10 games back. So I don't know what you do. Yeah, and the Royals showed you, or the Nationals showed you last year if you're even relatively close. If you take a shot for it, it might just happen and things go your way. Well, it helps if you have Max Scherzer and Steven Strasburg in yeah. rotation. <laughs> Uh, I did want to ask a little bit about some off-field news with the Indians. I mean, recently there has been pressure on the NFL's Washington Redskins to change their name, and it's something they finally agreed to after years and years of pressure. Uh, The Cleveland Indians announced they would at least consider changing their name as well, although they have yet to commit to anything. I just wanted to get uh, your temperatures. What's your feeling on how likely it is the Indians do change their name? What's been the fan reaction to it? And and if there are any names being bandied about, like what would they change it to? Well, the fan reaction, I think it really depends on where you look at it. I mean, Facebook comment reaction is going to be way different than a lot of Twitter reactions or even a Let's Go Tribe. But I think a lot of people just get it now. Even the ones that are really tied to the name or they were still tied to the Chief Wahoo logo, they get it now. It's just got to change. Um, and I'm all for it. I was I was very adamant that Chief Wahoo should be changed and the Indian's name, I was, I'm just fine with it changing. I don't really care. I think it's exciting. Like the idea that the Washington team I think it's cool that we get to pick a new name for them and they get there in this exciting time of a whole rebrand coming and I'm excited for it to happen for the Indians. I do think at this point, the fact that they, they sent out that press release, it's got to be almost assured they're going to change it to something. Um, and my thought has always been that they're just going to get all the way away from any kind of Native American reference. Like there's not going to be the Cleveland tribe or warriors, anything like that. They want to just cut away and go to something completely different. Um, I know the biggest ones are the Cleveland Spiders because they were around um, in the early 19th or early 20th century. And then another cool one is the Cleveland Guardians because there's a bridge um, in Cleveland where there's four statues of Guardians holding different vehicles. It'd be technically the Guardians of Traffic, which would be the Cleveland team or the the reference to it. But I think Cleveland Guardians is a neat name. Um, I mean, there's a lot of options just because Cleveland has so much history to it and a lot of things they can do with it that I think that they there it's inevitable at this point that it's going to be changed i think they're going to drag their feet as long as they can just like they did with chief wahoo they basically had to be told um get rid of the logo if you want the all-star game and they did it and i think something's gonna have to happen with the logo or with the name too i always thought it'd be better if they just did them both at the same time but now it's going to be a a three-year ordeal instead of just ripping off the band-aid but i'm excited we're going to get there eventually hopefully yeah and it's good i mean aside from from doing you know doing the right thing and, and kind of you know changing it because you know that of uh, the sensitivity of uh to native american right. groups uh, you know it is an exciting chance to rebrand and um you know come up with a new name and like that's a great merchandising opportunity i think for the team um because there were probably some people that were indians fans that were like i want to buy some merchandise but i really don't want that chief wahoo logo because it's a little embarrassing uh and now you have a chance to have an exciting new name that maybe fits the 21st century a little bit better and, and i think that that could be a chance for them to make, uh, you know, sell more merchandise and uh, you know, have an exciting new team almost. So, I was oh, say they can't build up the, the name as any kind of branding because you got to have you can't have a mascot. They just have this weird slider thing right now. <laughs> right. So it'll be nice when they're like the Guardians or something, and they just have a big statue running out there with a car or the spiders, and, and there's so much you can do with that. So it'll just be fun to see what they can do creatively instead of just being stuck with they can't go anywhere near their actual name because it's obviously insensitive to do that. But it'll be nice to see the creativity they can have. Yeah. Well, uh, Matt, tell us about Let's Go Tribe and what we can find there. 
Well, we're right about a team called the Indians over there. They're a Cleveland baseball team. <laughs> I don't know if you heard of them. But, uh, yeah, we're um, we're all excited the season's starting. Um, we have a podcast, Let's Talk Tribe, where we do. Um, we record every Sunday, and it comes out every Monday if you ever just want, I don't know, just to listen about the Indians. Uh, me and Merritt Rolfing. Me and Merritt Rolfing have a lot of fun talking about them. Um, it, it's been we, – we took a little break from it just because there wasn't a whole to talk about. But now, as um, I'm sure you guys are finding, too, there's a whole lot that suddenly pops up once baseball starts coming up that you can talk and write about. So – um, just a fun time now, and we're going to be over there writing about them. We welcome um, any Royals review readers who want to come over and, and go in our comments. We just have the one rule that you don't use the subject line here. That's something we have to remind people. We're the, the last bastion of places that don't use it on Let's Go Tribe, and it's a weird sense of pride we have about it. So if you come over, just remember that. <laughs> well, I'm sure we're going to get a chance to see a lot of the Indians. I mean, it's it's one one sixth of our schedule is against the Indians. So uh, yeah. definitely if you want to keep up, catch up on what they're up to, definitely go to let's go tribe. But uh, Matt, thanks so much for being on the show today. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me, Max. And joining me now is Sean Newkirk. Sean, how are you doing? Good, good. Glad to, glad to be here as always. Let's, uh, let's, let's preview this season. That's, that's only uh, what four days now away, or maybe it'll be four when this drops. So yeah. Yeah, it seems weird to do a preview of baseball in July, but uh, I guess here we are. So uh, also joining us here to, to talk about the start of the season is David Lusky. David, are you uh, ready for some baseball? Well, you know, as they say in baseball, let's do that baseball. I'm ready to go. Let's do that baseball. That's right. And, uh, you know, it is it is baseball season coming up here in a couple of days. Finally, it's it's the, the, the opening day is right around the corner. And you know, usually we would be thinking about trades uh, in July, and while the shortened season did put off the trade deadline to August 30th, that didn't stop the Royals from executing a deal. Uh, they made one with the San Diego Padres this week. Kind of surprising because it came out of the blue. They they send a left-handed reliever, Tim Hill, to the Padres in exchange for two players, outfielder Franchi Cordero and right-handed pitcher Ronald Bolaños. Uh, kind of interesting deal in that the Royals get two younger players who definitely have holes to their game but have some upside. Uh, but, David, what was kind of your reaction to the trade? Uh, you know, I don't know that we necessarily expected to get a lot for Tim Hill. I mean, he's he's a good left-handed reliever, but not, you know, he's still a left-handed reliever. Uh, how do you feel about how the Royals made out in this deal? Well, I mean, Tim Hill's a he, he's a solid lefty, um, but he, he struggles a bit against righties. Not as much as – he didn't struggle as much last season as he did the year before. Um but in a world where you have a three batter minimum, his value is less than it than it was before. Um, and yeah, I'm I'm a little bit surprised they were able to actually get upside pieces for him. This is the kind of deal a team like the Royals absolutely needs to make. And it could could turn out you look at this in three years and you go, Well, they got nothing for Tim Hill and you go, Oh, they traded Tim Hill. So it's not the the worst thing in the world if, if it ends up being nothing. But I like that they got a guy in Cordero who has big time power he's got great speed um and he is the classic royals player because he swings at everything and misses a lot of it so that 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 part of it he's not the ideal player but again it's tim hill that you traded and with with Bolaños, um you got a, you got a, a pitcher with some upside he he can run it up in the high 90s he's got a good curveball ultimately he's probably a reliever sure but uh, again you traded him you traded tim hill to get him and um as clint skulls tweeted this and i think the same person reached out to me and said the royals got the better pitcher of the two in the deal so that is pretty uh 
pretty, pretty good for me. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, if you get the better pitcher in a deal where you're trading the proven commodity for the for the prospect, I think you made out pretty well. Yeah, I think a lot of the attention went to Cordero because uh, you know he flashes that 70 grade power and 70 grade speed. But Bolaños, I think, is actually maybe I think maybe the safer player. I'm like, and even he uh, it comes with some flaws, but um, you know he's a guy that has a live arm. Um, and I, I, I've said this before, he, he's like a lot of Cuban pitchers in that his fastball is never the same twice. Like he throws at different velocities, different different movements, different grips. Uh, and I, I always kind of like those kind of guys because I think they bring a lot more to the table now. With that comes command issues. And I don't know if his, uh, if his future is really as a starter. And I'm sure, I'm sure they'll give him a chance to start at some point just because they don't have a whole lot of great options at this point but once the 2018 draft class is ready and it, it's it's a little tight to find room in the rotation then he could end up in the bullpen if he's he hasn't really figured out his his uh his command issues but even there i think he could be a really solid you know reliever maybe even a a, a nice back end you know a, a shutdown reliever who can come bring in some uh, velocity and has really good sink and break to his uh his breaking pitches so uh i think he's really interesting and then cordero to get that kind of upside, and you know, he's got a lot of holes to get. Like you said, he, he just swings at everything. Um, he is he's raw. It's, he's got some seventy grade power, but that hasn't necessarily translated to regular season games. His defense seems like it, it could be good. Although I did talk to a Padres fan last week who was like, "Yeah, you see him in the field. It's it's pretty rough, and and the metrics are kind of um, all over the place on him as well. Although it's very small sample size, so it, there's there's going to have to be some refinement there." But, it, you know, there's a chance that he could be a really good player and Bolaños could be a really good pitcher. And to get that for Tim Hill, I think, you know, if you're getting, giving yourself a chance to get a really good player, uh, I think that's a pretty good, pretty good deal. But, uh, Sean, you seemed a little more underwhelmed by the deal. You, uh, you went on Twitter and kind of graded it a C. What was your, what was your kind of your reason for, for kind of being so underwhelmed? Yeah, I mean, I don't know underwhelmed. So... I think I initially did come off like I didn't want it to come off like I was saying like oh this is a bad trade. I just thought it was kind of a boring trade. I mean, like again, it was a trade for Tim Hill for Franchi Cordero and Ron. Ron, uh, but I can never say the guy's dang last name. But on it, oh my gosh, can you guys say it again? Bolaños. Bolaños. I can, I literally cannot. My brain can't. I got to say it. Bolaños. Uh, so <clears throat> I don't know. I just thought it was kind of just fairly boring i thought and i was just thinking more about it i was thinking like well if you if you think of how each of these players distributions are their their you know their outcomes if you think what probably looks like is tim hill is kind of is going to be on the right side of a distribution where it's like you know that he's probably going to be worth between zero and half a win you know basically every year so he's on that side of distribution you know the his median is i guess you could say as opposed to the other two where it's like you know they could be nothing effectively or they could be you know one to two win players i mean three win players mentally with cordero so it's kind of like you're just exchanging distribution side um and, and, and I think the probability of success for those two compared to Tim Hill are basically equal. So that's just the way I thought about it was, you know, they basically were swapping in the one really good thing about the trade, I think, is that basically they're swapping outcomes, but they're doing so with two guys who are, you know, seven to six years older. I think one's 23, one's 24. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you're, you're picking up six, seven years. So that's a win, obviously, even if they're both the exact same outcome. 
I think that's good. I just thought it was just a fairly down the road, uh, down the middle trade. Mustak um, is trade light, where it's kind of like these flawed ass assets. Um, and Brett Phillips, you know, good fielder, obviously, although Cordero is not a great fielder. Uh, but, you know, good fielder who's got holes in his swing. That's what Cordero is. Um, and then Boyanos is the kind of the same. Jorge Lopez, good stuff, but is he a reliever? Is he a starter? We're kind of see. So I thought it was kind of like Mustakis light trade. Um, and so I don't know. I, I, I thought it was a neutralist trade overall. Um, and, you know, as I rethink of it, I could, I could do B minus C plus uh, for it, just given the age swap. But I didn't think of it as. I would expect the exact same outcome as far as performance wise, you know, normally with those two combined and Tim Hill, I think it's basically just a swap of outcomes, if that makes sense. Yeah. I, I, I don't think anyone should be under any kind of illusion that like Cordero is like this really hot prospect that has a really good chance of making it as a major leaguer. I mean, he's, he's got a major hole to his game. Guys that strike out a lot and don't walk much. The track record isn't great for those kind of guys. Uh, toolsy guys that, you know, don't have refined skills. It's it's hard to make it in the major leagues, and Bolanos is going to have to figure out some some control if he wants to stick in the big leagues. Uh, I just you know I think Tim Hill, he's a nice reliever. You know I think he's actually one of the better left-handed relievers in the league, and he's he's young and he's cheap or not actually he's not young he's only, he's already 30 but he has a lot of controllable years left. Um, but we also know that left-handed relievers ne- don't necessarily have a long track record. Or, you know they don't have staying power necessarily, um, and 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 really for a team like the Royals, you know why do you need a left-handed specialist to win, you know, 23 games this year, 24 games, whatever they win this year, uh, especially when they have other guys like Richard Lovelady and Gabe Spire and Randy Rosario, um, who could fill that role as well this year. So yeah, um, and yeah. we talked about we talked about variance a little bit with Cordero. Where um, was it? Was it MLB Pipeline? Maybe Baseball America had him 15th. Was it? Uh, Baseball America had him 13th, I think. Uh, oh, no, 13th. well, this oh. Bologna for Bologna's not. Uh, Cordero, Cordero is never is oh. interesting. He's never really been high on the list for like Baseball America, but like Fangraphs, I think Jeff Sullivan wrote about him a couple years ago as being mm. as like, oh, look at this guy. He's he's yeah. putting up some some really interesting numbers here, and he yeah. kind of got found his way onto their list. But even then, it was like he was number seventeen. Yeah, and I think Fangraphs had him at thirty fifth. So that I mean, that's the variance that we're kind of looking at too, and that's kind of what's kind of my view is coming from is that the distribution outcomes are so wide for these guys that it's like Fangraphs put him as 35th, BA put him as 13th. You know, it's like two people don't agree and it's just a wide, a really, really big variance. So that's just kind of, that's where I was coming from. But yeah, I mean, that's, it's a move that the Royals, I would have liked a little smaller variance to be honest, but uh, the move makes sense for the Royals if you're swapping again, Tim Hill. David, we'll talk about how he maybe fits into this opening day roster here in a little bit, but how do you see Franchi Cordero kind of fitting into what the Royals are doing down the road, like the next couple of years? You know, is, it, is this a situation where they saw outfield as a great need, or is this maybe just you know trying to get the best value they could out of uh, uh, Tim Hill? I imagine they saw the tools and they were enamored, which is not surprising with this organization. And and they are they're, the the good tools are loud. I mean, the speed and the power they they stand out with Cordero, and so I think that they. They like that and figured they could figure out a spot for him. And if you look at the outfield moving forward, I mean, they've got, what, Hunter Dozier playing right field with Merrifield and center and Alex Gordon and left. I think if you if you predicted their 2023 outfield, let's say, I don't think any of those guys are in it. So there, there's nobody on the big league roster. Bubba Starling and Brett Phillips, I don't think you'd predict them either. And then what do you have in the system? Sully Matias, I mean, they were happy with what he did during uh, – 
during the summer camp portion, but you know, he's a massive uh, risk reward type guy. Kyle Isbell is a, is a good prospect. Khalil Lee has a chance. I mean, these guys, they, they have chances, but they don't really have a marquee outfield prospect until you get down to Eric Pena, who could end up as one of those eh, guys in a couple of years too. We just don't know about him. So I think that they kind of were lacking for young future outfielders and saw a guy that was, that, like I said, had some pretty loud tools and, and thought, okay, th- this this could be a part of the future. And, and I think that a couple things they have going for, him, for them with him, at, at least from a defensive perspective, is they have a pretty good track record of turning guys who have the tools into into solid outfielders. Um, and a lot of that's Rusty Coons, of course, but um, they, they do a pretty good job of kind of teaching reads. And that, that, from what I understand from, from, from some Padres people I've talked to, that's the biggest problem for Cordero is, is reads off the bat. And so that's somewhat teachable, um, somewhat instinctual, but somewhat teachable. So, I you know, I think they saw the holes in his game as something they could work on and that you can't teach that kind of speed or power. And so I think that's what they just wanted to take advantage of. Yeah, I think, you know, knowing that they have Aristocoons and that they have revamped their kind of minor league hitting development system, I mean, this will be kind of one of their first big tests. So like, if they can turn Cordero into a really solid player, I mean, like you said, he's got the tools to do it. Um, it's kind of, uh, can they unleash that? Um, that's going to be a real big test of, of what of their ability to develop minor leaguers at this point. And maybe that's a little unfair because he's 25. He's not like a super young guy, and maybe he's set in his ways. But, um, you know, I'm, I'm really curious to see what they have with him. I think hopefully they give him a long look. I do feel like, you know, Brett Phillips um, didn't, you know, kind of got cheated out of that. Maybe he'll get one, you know, get a long look this year. Um, but, but I hope they do give Cordero a chance just to see what he can do because, you know, like we said, the chances aren't great that he turns into a, a great player, but um, I think the potential is there. It's, it, there's a, a better chance of seeing him turn into something uh, good than, like, you know, Billy Hamilton or whatever free agent veteran you want to bring in for a year. So, I, you know, I, I hope he gets a chance, and, and I'm kind of excited to see what he can do. And um, for me, I think it was a, a, a really nice trade, and one of the, um, I agree with you, David. It's kind of one of the trades that they – really should be making while they're rebuilding. So. Uh, well, the Royals, they should be finalizing their roster about this time of year. Um, because of the pause in the season, they're actually going to expand rosters to 30 to begin the season. Uh, two weeks later, they're going to reduce it down to 28 for two weeks and then uh, finally reducing it to 26. Uh, but, David, you wrote about how you saw the 30-man roster shaping up. I think we have a pretty good idea who's going to start on this team. Uh, it seems like Salvi definitely is going to be behind the plate. Now that he's back uh, from, a, from a, a positive test for coronavirus. Ryan McBroom will probably start at first base with, with uh, Ryan O'Hearn's uh, status uncertain with his positive test. Uh, Nicky Lopez at second. Adalberto Montesi at short. Michael Franco, the free agent they signed from the Phillies over at third. Like you said, the outfit will be Alex Gordon, Whit Merrifield, Hunter Dozier um, with Jorge Soler as DH. Uh, but that leaves them with uh, a couple options on their bench. Um, with expanded rosters, who do you kind of see making this roster off the bench? Well, I think the outfield, you've got Starling and Phillips, both guys out of options. So they're they're going to get a shot at least to start. Um, that 30-man roster gives them a little flexibility. And then I think they go with Eric Mejia. Uh, he's, he's been kind of – he was the talk of spring training back, back in March, if anybody can remember. He looked really good, apparently. Um, and – He's apparently been great throughout this whole summer camp situation. So, uh, and then there's a backup catcher, which looks like Mabris Valoria is 
back potentially. I, it was reported a couple of days ago he'd come back, and we haven't seen him yet. But that doesn't mean he's not there because access is, let's say, limited right now. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, Mejia seems to be that guy at this moment for the last roster spot. He was fighting with uh, Matt Reynolds in March, not physically probably. Although I don't know, <laughs> you never know. Um, but Reynolds just got back to camp. Uh, either today or yesterday, so not not great for his chances of making the roster. Although he is on the sixty man, I believe I'm pretty sure. So, um, yeah, I think I think Mejia is the last guy, and and unfortunately for for all the Bobby Witt stands out there, and fortunately for everybody who doesn't want to see him fail miserably, he will not be on the roster to start the season. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I'm kind of amazed how much people have gotten excited about three intra-squad games <laughs> like I, i'm sure he looks really good you know one of what few highlights i've seen from him he's looked really good but man he has not <laughs> he played in the arizona summer league and he didn't even play that well <laughs> uh, yeah so. I, that's that's silly to me but um I, look it's great that he's looked good i i think that that's a really nice sign for him or a terrible sign for royals pitching i'm not sure but one or the other um but it's not hey, look he's He's a 20-year-old who hasn't played above rookie ball, and he not only held his own, but was kind of the talk of summer camp. That's that's not a bad thing. Let's just leave it be now from this point. <laughs> he doesn't need to be on the roster. Uh, Sean, I, I don't, do you take an issue with any of the roster, uh, any of those roster predictions, or is there a different direction maybe the Royals should go? I mean, I think, you know, backup catcher, it's, but at this point, it's basically whoever they have left, which, you know, good news, maybe it sounds like Valoria could be back and uh, returning uh, from his undisclosed uh, stint on the injured list. Uh, Eric Mejia, I guess, gives him some versatility uh, and can play all over the infield, even he had some time behind the plate. Uh, Phillips, Starling, and Heath, I guess, are your backup outfielders. Does that inspire a lot of confidence with you, Sean? Uh, I mean, it's a team that could definitely win 20 to 25 games. I mean, I feel confident in that. But, I mean, yeah, it is what it is. And, I mean, everybody knew that, you know, this wasn't going to be a playoff caliber team. Um, so, um, but it's nice to have kind of a little bit more concrete on who's going to be in the lineup card every other day. Or every day. Um, I would like to see – they haven't – I haven't seen – have they made a decision on Brady Singer yet? Doesn't sound like he's going to crack the opening five. Uh, no, we don't know. I mean, I, I I think all indications are he's got a chance. I mean, uh, yeah. I I have I don't I'm not breaking news here or anything, but there's been some rumors that um, not only might he crack the starting five, but with Junis out and Keller not ready, he might start Sunday. Hmm. Okay. Just throwing okay. that out there. Yeah, that's good. That's what I was thinking. That's the one thing I would maybe change overall is we don't need any more Mike Montgomery. We don't need any more Jorge Lopez. You know, I guess you can make the case for Mike Montgomery since they just traded for him and, you know, maybe you could figure something out, but Jorge Lopez is not a starting pitcher. He's 27, well, 27 and a half almost at this point. And he's, he's just not a starter. Um, there, there's no reason to, to mess with him anymore there. So give it to Singer. We know Lacey's not going to start and that's fine. Uh, but give it to Lynch or Coar or Singer or someone that's actually has some ability to potentially be a starter as opposed to Jorge Lopez, who just seems like the, the white flag, the every fifth day white flag. Well, I, he may have to start by default. I mean, right now they're, they're a little shorthanded. Like you mentioned, Jake Junis is out. He had a positive uh, COVID test earlier, which prevented him from getting to camp, which kind of delayed him, his ability to ramp, ramp up his workload. So he's not quite ready for the season. He'll probably have to miss the first, at least the first, uh, his first start. Um, he'll be eligible to come off the injured list, I think, Wednesday. 
Uh, Brad Keller is back as well, but he, uh, you know, he's missed some time. He's going to have to slowly ease back into things. I don't know if he'll start. If he does start, he'll probably be on a pitch limit of like 50, 60 pitches. Um, so it may, they may have to ease him back. Uh, Danny Duffy will, will start at, we know he's the only one, I guess we really know is in the rotation. He'll start at opening day. Mike Montgomery, who I guess you're not a fan of, it seems like a pretty good bet to be in the rotation. I think that's you know part of why they acquired him. Um, but, but David, they've got a lot of other options there. Brady Singer, I guess, uh, if you're saying he's got a pretty good chance of being in the rotation. Um, I, I think all signs point to that way. But that still leaves a couple other spots. How do you see all that rotation kind of filling out? Yeah, I mean, I, at this point, I'd be surprised if Singer is not in there. Uh, I think that there was some question when they had Duffy, Montgomery, Keller, and Junis all ready to go. Then you could kind of maybe ease him in. But when you've got right now two starters instead of four, <laughs> I think I think Singer's got to be that guy. Um, it sounds like they will. They're they're, lo- they're trying to get Keller to start on either what game one or two of the Tiger series Monday or Tuesday next week, um, and just kind of use that as almost a, an opener for him, um, like a three inning opener. But so th- then you're going to look at what Sparkman, Lopez, um, Jesse Hahn as a possibility, and that fifth starter. Uh, that that same same names it could be jesse hahn who is starting uh what's he scheduled to start wednesday in st louis i think and for the, uh, for the exhibition game for the exhibition yeah. game yeah yeah um so he's he's obviously a possibility if they're giving him that start i don't think he's i, I had him in the roster right now but i mean that, that fifth spot is so fluid i think there's a real good chance it's foster griffin to get to get a shot just because he's on the 40-man roster he's looked pretty good he looked okay in spring he looked pretty good in summer um, and I, look, the Tigers are going to be better, but there are worse teams to get your big league debut against. I feel like so. <laughs> uh, that's that's might be where they lean. Uh, yeah, it's it's not pretty. I don't I don't think Daniel Lynch has an opportunity. I don't think Jackson Carr is going to get the opportunity. I would personally, I would put one of those two in there. Uh, you know, there's 40 main questions and all that, but. Uh, it just doesn't sound like it's going to happen. So I think it's going to be some combination of Han, Sparkman, Lopez, and maybe Foster Griffin in that fifth spot. And that's, that's, um, if that doesn't get you excited to watch Royals baseball, I don't know what. Will. <laughs> yeah. Ultimately it may not even matter right now if you have the, the moniker starter, because it, it sounds like, I mean, they've talked a lot about being creative with their pitching staff. And when you got guys like, Jesse Hahn, who's coming off, you know, a, a major injury that basically kept him out for two years and didn't really get a full spring training to come back. When you've got Jorge Lopez, who, as Sean said, has really indicated he is not a starting pitcher. When you've got Glenn Sparkman, who has some intriguing stuff, but it seems like he would play better out of the pen. Um, you know, those those are options you can mix and match, I think, for, for maybe that fifth spot. But it may be just kind of a revolving door for a while where maybe they're piggybacking guys, maybe they're, uh, you know, giving different guys starts based on matchups. Uh, you know, they have a chance to be creative there, but, but when you, you kind of have limited options, um, you kind of, you kind of forced to be creative. So I'm not sure it ultimately matters that much who that fifth starter is. You probably see a lot of different names out there. You've also got 12, 13 men in the bullpen. So you don't necessarily have, you can get two innings out of your starter and not be worn down for the next day. So they, they, they've got some definite options there. They're, I don't yeah, good for their options. <laughs> I wouldn't have been against uh, instead of that fifth spot, you know, Jorge Lopez. Um, 
just doing like a um, a Stamont to Rosario to I don't know Barlow kind of like just going to reliever day basically right like the Astros or the or the Rays sometimes do so that that was my thought too given the expanded uh, bullpen for a bit uh, I, I think it, that might be more beneficial than chalking out Jorge Lopez for, for four or five innings and giving up six runs just automatically. Well, I do think the bullpen could be the more intriguing part of the roster just because I think it's the chance uh, for them to upgrade uh, over last year. Just, part of that's because the bullpen was so bad last year, but part of that's because they did bring in some kind of interesting faces and in Trevor Rosenthal and Greg Holland, both older guys, but not super old and, and, and certainly look pretty good so far in spring training and summer camp. Uh, but they also have some really intriguing young arms that could eventually push their way into the bullpen. David, how do you see the bullpen kind of shaping up as we uh, head to opening day? As a jumbled mess. Um, <laughs> no, they, they, they do have some good arms. Um, I think we know that as of right now, and I will say this, I put it on Twitter, now is the time to trade Ian Kennedy, like today, maybe tomorrow. You can wait till tomorrow, I guess. Um, get, get rid of some of that logjam, A, and B, that way – uh, trading uh, acquiring team gets him for as long as they would have otherwise I don't know just to, just throwing that out there but as of right now Ian Kennedy Scott Barlow Trevor Rosenthal are locks Josh Domond is a lock he's I mean he's been unreal good so hopefully hopefully he can continue that into, into the regular season Randy Rosario is probably not, not probably he's a lock they love him for some reason um, and then then you get to the questions Greg Holland probably gets added to the 40 man so He's, he's probably an answer. Um, Gabe Spire is a guy who I think has a better shot to make it than Richard Lovelady based on some people I've talked to, which I don't know. Spire's got some, he, he has good stuff. I would put Lovelady over him um, 10 times out of 10, but I don't run the Royals. So, um, and then it's just a lot of other names. Tyler <laughs> Zuber is, is one. Um, I think he has a really good shot to crack the roster, but again, there's a 40 man issue there, which it's going to be really tough to navigate that. Now that they don't have some options to, to take off the roster or also, I mean, there's some guys on the COVID IL and those can be replaced. So that's, that's kind of a, a temporary solution for 40 man issues. Um, but those tend to clear up. So, and you, you still, you, you just delay the, the, the answer by doing that. Um, they did get some bad news with Daniel Tillo who I thought had a shot at some point this season, but not only did he test positive for COVID, he's probably going to need Tommy John, which is not ideal. Although um, I guess it's not the worst time to have it. Um, I don't know. Maybe it is the worst time, whatever it's, it's, it's there's no good time to have Tommy John, I suppose. Um, and there's Stephen Woods jr. And as, as the rule five guy. And I feel like I'm missing eight names. Yeah, I am Jake, uh, Jake Newberry. Kevin McCarthy, who they keep talking about as splitter, which makes me think he's going to be on the opening day roster. Chance Adams, who they picked up from the Yankees, so I really like that that pickup just to give it a shot. Um, again, I'm probably blanking on somebody here, but Kyle have, Zimmer. Oh yeah, Zimmer. Zimmer looked okay. Uh, he did get that extra option, so that's probably not helpful for him to make the roster. Um, but yeah, I mean they've got. They've got some arms, and and the big difference I'm seeing this year is they've got some stuff. I mean, they're not throwing out Brad Boxberger this season. They they went out and they added Trevor Rosenthal instead, who's going to throw it at 99. He may not know where it's going, <laughs> but at least they added some legit stuff, which is a nice change for, from what we saw last year. And 
I, I think the bullpen has a chance to be the most improved part of this team. And I mean, it probably will be based on, based on where it started and the names they've got in there right now. Um, <clears throat> that if the Royals somehow eke out 28 wins, 31 wins, something that is mediocre but not playoff spot worthy, it's because the bullpen was dominant. That, that'll be why they end up getting there. Um, not that I think they will, but that would be how it would happen. And it's going to sort through all these names because there are quite a few. And I wonder if we'll just kind of see a revolving door all year where, you know, you just see guys shuttled in and out. I mean, it makes it easier with the guys right down the street and KCK at the T-Bones facility. And they're not, you know, playing. I, I assume they're not going to be playing like live, a lot of live game action. So the guy's going to be, you know, guy's going to be available to be, to be called up at any time, really. Um, so I, I imagine you'll see a lot of different guys and a lot of different options. Uh, Sean, is there maybe a, a pitcher or two that you're excited to see coming out of the bullpen this year, or, or at least uh, more excited to see than like Brand, uh, Brad yeah. Boxberger? Yeah, I I love Chance Adams. I, I he's been a favorite of mine, gosh, since what twenty I think twenty sixteen or so, um, back when he was with the Yankees, just in Low A. Uh, I mean, just put up ridiculous numbers as a reliever. They moved him to the bullpen. Or excuse me, they moved him to the rotation. Kept it going. Um, didn't quite hold it in 17 and 18. And then obviously 19, we got called up. Um, now some of his, the stuff backed up. Some of us thought he got a little tired, uh, going further into games, but, um, yeah, I mean, I was a big fan of Chance Adams. I, I would have had him. He was on the fringe of some top 100 prospect list back then. Um, just, you know, some people didn't like how short he was, which, uh, you know, that's the case. Uh, they thought, excuse me, he's not that short. I think he's six foot, but they thought he was a little undersized um, overall. So I love Chance Adams. Um, Kyle Zimmer, you know, I know we talked about he got that extra year. I, I mean, at this point, it, you know, at this point, in fact, we got to figure out what he is. He's almost 29. Uh it feels like he was just drafted not that long ago, but you know he's 29 almost. Um, I've always been a big Love Lady fan. I think everybody's aware of that. Um, Scott Blue is interesting too. Uh, you know, I, I'd rather see him pitch than Foster Griffin, who I think Griffin's a little worn out at this point. And then, um, yeah, I think that's those are the main guys. Jesse Hahn is always kind of uh, he's 31, um, but Jesse Hahn's always a little bit interesting too, um, just to see what's going on there. I mean. Had crazy numbers and in in uh, at some point big strikeout numbers with the Royals, but of course had those big walk ones. So interesting guy, been a few orgs he's been in, but yeah, I mean, there's a couple guys, but yeah, definitely definitely more optimistic on this year's bullpen, just stuff wise, as as Dave said, as opposed to yeah trotting out um, yeah Boxberger or I, I think of David Risky for some reason, you know, trotting out those guys like oh great, ringing him in, huh? To me, it's always gonna be Blaine Boyer. Blaine Boyer, why do we see him for so long? But uh, yeah, yeah, it, it should be a much different look this year. At least they, like David said, they're they're going to bring some heat. Which, hey, that, I think that gives you a better chance than uh, than just kind of throwing slop and and hoping they don't hit it out of the stadium. So, uh, you know, before the season begins for real, I did want to get us on the record for our predictions for the season. Uh, so I guess we'll start with Royals record. And now remember, it's a sixty game season, so they can't lose a hundred. But David, how many games do you have the Royals winning this year, and what what place in the Central Division? I have negative five and a hundred. No, um, I I think they'll finish twenty five and thirty five, fourth place. Tigers are in a very similar spot to the Royals; they're just not very good. Um, so I think that they 
they finish a couple games behind the Royals and and the Royals get to continue their stretch of not finishing in last no matter how bad they are. <laughs> Sean, what about you? I think 26. Um, and I think that's spot on with what um, Fangraphs has, like using their, their depth charts. Um, I think 26 sounded about right, uh, assuming they play 60 games. Um, but I, I think the Tigers actually are, are the fourth team. So I, I'm going to go Royals at fifth, actually. I have the Royal. You guys are optimistic compared to me. I have the Royals at 24 and 36. I, they they started out so poorly the last two years, and they've just always been a, a team that starts out very, yeah. you know, stumbles out of the gate. And maybe it'll it'll change because it's July instead of, you know, freezing in March. But uh, I, I think they'll be better. I, I, I think the, the rotation will be a little bit better with Singer in there, and Montgomery I think is a little bit better than, than uh, some of the guys that are putting out there last year. The bullpen should be a little bit better. I think the offense might be might regress a little bit, though. I don't think Jorge Soler is going to lead the league in home runs again. I mean, I think we'll be really lucky if he plays anywhere close to 162 games, knowing his injury passed. Um, you know, oh, I guess he won't because it's 60 games. I was going to say, this should be the year. He, we're we're going to be like, man, he only played 60 games this year? Jeez. So, yeah, but uh, I, yeah, I I do kind of feel like he's due for an injury. Uh, you know, hopefully he stays healthy. But I do feel like there's probably going to be a little bit of regression from the offense. We'll see. Um, yeah. But, but uh, you know, there's still about a 24-25 win team, I think. Yeah, I think – and this is the year that, like, if you're wrong by two games, you're wrong by 3% right. or yeah. three, and a, three and a quarter. You know what I mean? So it's like, yeah, I could totally see them winning 24. I could see them winning 30. You know, they could – they could have a, a really good bullpen stretch that closes out three or four games that they normally would lose under, you know, a longer span of games. But yeah, I, I, I think we're all in agreement. It's a, it's a fourth or fifth place probably incoming. And yet they'll probably finish like 10 games back out of first place, you know, just because that's how yeah. crazy a 60 game schedule is. Uh, let's talk about baseball as a whole. Uh, let's start with the American league. Who do you have as, uh, we'll start with you, David, who's your division winners and who's your two wildcard teams. So I had to uh, do this for baseball perspectives, and I decided to be the outlier in some ways. So in the American League, I have the Indians, Rays, and Astros winning the divisions. Um, I just – I the Twins rotation, I, I don't buy it at all. And maybe it doesn't matter, but I don't think their bullpen's that good either. Um, they're going to hit, but I, I just think the Indians are overall better. And, and the Rays, I think – just they're they're a really good team and in the short term they can easily overpass the Yankees for for first place over 60 games and then the Astros are they're good um and my wild cards I believe I had the A's and the Yankees um so we get to watch and the A's losing the wild card game once again which is an annual tradition um yeah I think that not not the, the teams aren't necessarily crazy. It's just kind of maybe a different order than I think most people would have them. What, what are you, Sean? Who's your uh, American League postseason teams? Yeah, so I haven't quite locked it in yet, but I'm thinking I've got Astros for the West. I think that's a pretty much a one-horse race. Well, actually, no, I take that back. I think it'll be a little tighter than most years because the a- Angels added Rendon, um, which finally uh, Mike Trout has a person who's arguably just almost as good as he is. Um, Although I think he's already isn't he already hurt? Was Rendon, Rendon was? I oh, thought I, didn't I saw see it, that. Um, that he got. Man, I could be wrong about that. Uh, hold on. Yeah, his no, opening no, well, his opening day status is in jeopardy. He's sore. I, it may not be a. 
He's out oh, for a okay. long. He may not be out for an extended period of time. Although, like like you guys say, like one game that could be that's one sixtieth of the season. Yeah. Of the season so. yeah, true. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so I've got the I've got the Astros with the West. Um, yeah, I went back and forth between Cleveland and the Twins. I ultimately went with the Twins. Um, just because I think that their their lineup's a bit better, and it's that's tough to say when you've got Jose Ramirez and Francisco Lindor in the same lineup. Um, but like Cleveland just did nothing with their outfield depth, and they even joked, or they seriously, I think they played like a bat boy or something in the outfield the other day. Like literally played like a, a, a staff. Of, oh, the translator. They played the team translator out in the outfield. I'm like, dude, that's just like the entire joke of how they've done nothing with their outfield. Um, and I'm someone who likes Tyler Naquin a little bit, but. I just – you can't just trot out effectively Lindor and Jose Ramirez in the lineup and then, you know, you've got Cesar Hernandez. It's not too bad, but, you know, Roberto Perez. I just am not that big a fan of, of the of Cleveland's lineup. So I've got the Twins for the Central. Um, I went back and forth between Yankees and Rays, but I'm going to go Rays as the AL East winner uh, if only because I think that if any team can squeak out – if you think of – if you think of variance being greater in a season uh, that's shorter and, you know, one or two wins mean more, obviously, in a 60-game sample as opposed to a 162-game sample, I think the Rays of all orgs can squeak out a couple of those fringe, you know, wins or those uh, really capture kind of any, you know, market inefficiency, as you might want to call it. Uh, so I've got the Rays. I think it'll be really close, but I've got the Rays winning the East. Um, and then, yeah, Yankees would then be uh, the wildcard team. And then uh, Oakland is going to actually, I, I think actually it will end up being Oakland as opposed to the Angels, um, though, uh, with the wildcard. So that's, that's interesting. Yeah, I think I'm, I'm right in lockstep with you guys on the Rays. And I, I for that exact reason you mentioned, Sean, I think they, Will squeeze. I think they're going to be really creative this uh, this season, and they'll they'll just squeeze every ounce of talent out of that roster. And I, I really liked what they did in the off season. I like the Japanese free agent they picked up, uh, whose name escapes me. I think it's Tsutsugo. Um, I like uh, you know the kind of the tr- trades they made with the Padres um, to kind of supplement their outfield, with getting Hunter Renfro and Manuel Margot. So I you know, I think I think they're good. I I think it'll be a really good race in the East. I have them edging the Yankees as well. Um, I have the Twins in the Central. Just I think the Indians took a step back. I, you know, I'm, I'm with you. I don't think they did enough with their outfield. They they moved Kluber, who was probably damaged goods anyway. But um, and, and I know they they produce pitchers pretty well in Cleveland. But um, you know, they just, eventually that's going to run out. I think, and this will be the year that it it. Well, I guess last year was the year that it kind of ran out on them. Uh, and then the West, I have the Astros, and they just seem like they seem like a better team. Although I do agree that it could be a better race than maybe people are expecting. And so the wild card, I have the Yankees and A's, and I agree with David. I think it's going to be the A's falling to the Yankees uh, this time. Uh, in the National League, uh, what do you have, who do you have in the National League, David? Uh, my weird pick in the National League is I have the Reds winning the National League Central. Uh, I just I like what they've done. Uh, I, I think the lineup is going to be good. I think the DH for them helps them quite a bit. Uh, and the, the rotation's good. The bullpen's really good. It's, it's a good team. They've got Mike Moustak um, is giving uh, clubhouse speeches for them. That's going to rally exactly. them, uh, rally them to win. That's all they need. Yep. He's actually going to start and, and relieve as well. <laughs> and in the, in the East, I have the Nationals. And, and the reason I put them over the top is because they get the Orioles. And no other team in the National East does. So they get six games against the Orioles. They get, I mean, 10% of their schedule is against Baltimore. That's insane. <laughs> so I, I think that that's going to really put them over the top. Um, and then in the West, 
uh, Dodgers. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't think there's any question there. They're they're an um, elite team, even without David Price. They they're going to be just fine. Uh, my wild cards, I now I can't remember who I wrote down, but I have I definitely have the Diamondbacks, um, and then I believe the Braves. So I think Diamondbacks, Braves, in the wild card game. I really like what the Diamondbacks are doing. Um, I think that they have quite a bit of talent. They're in an unfortunate position of having to chase the Dodgers, but um, I, I think they they could be a team to make a postseason run if they can get there. Um, I don't think they're going to win the World Series, but um, I like the Diamondbacks, and, and yeah, I think, like I said, the Reds are my kind of slightly off-the-wall prediction for, for a division winner. Yeah, the Diamondbacks are kind of a weird team I, I just i never f- can figure out what they're trying to do but they always seem to have a pretty good team and i looked at the roster yes over the weekend it's like they have kettle Marte, who was like a like all-star level player last year had a breakthrough performance they've got madison bumgarner the, as a big free agent um they've got a decent pitching staff archie bradley's a pretty good closer i think they've got some pieces there i just don't you know i don't think they have what it takes to go over the top yet but but maybe that's something they can do next year uh john who do you have for the national league yeah, so I went with the Dodgers in the West. Um, I feel like there's been some Rockies hype, and I'm like, eh, okay. But I still think the Dodgers are the best team there. Their lineup is just ridiculous. And, you know, it, it's – I love Kershaw, and it's like every year we wish Kershaw – it's – who knows how good Kershaw is going to be this year. Um, but I think everybody – at least I root for him. Um, and I, I, I love him, and I, I hope he's great. Um, and, like, yeah, Walker Bueller is just ridiculous. Um, and then, you know, Julio Urias, we'll see uh, with his injury history. But I think they all around have arguably the best team in the entire uh, league. Um, gosh, you guys you guys make – it is really tough. I really think the Central could have three 30-game winners between – the it's it's weird to say 30 game winners but uh they could have three 30 game winners between the cubs brewers and reds i went with the cubs um just because i think they have a slightly better lineup than the brewers um i think the brewers are a little top heavy with yelich and then some good pieces around them um but not quite like you know uh Baez and Chris Bryant and uh, just I, I like the Cubs rosters a little bit better but again I could see either of those three teams and again we're talking one game difference might really matter a lot um, and then I went to the Braves the Braves again great lineup decent pitching um, even if their pitching prospects haven't quite turned into what was expected which is always the case um, and then I've got the Nationals and Mets um, in zone uh, three AL East teams are going to be in the wild card are going to be in the playoffs um, for me did you intentionally leave the Cardinals out of your 30 game winners because uh, it was as a, as a flight to St. Louis or is that, <laughs> you don't think the Cardinals would be very good this year? I don't know. I mean, like it's not, a, so I guess, yes, four teams could win 30 games in a division, but it's like, I don't know. I just like the Cardinals outfield is interesting. Like I love Dylan Carlson. Um, we'll see about Bader. I don't even know what the heck's going on with Dexter Fowler nowadays, if he's hurt or not. Matt Carpenter wasn't quite as good as he's been. Um, he's only project, he's basically projected to be replacement level uh, this year. Um, I, I don't know. We'll see about what happens with Goldschmidt, too. I, I don't know. I just don't like them that much. I, I think they're not quite as interesting as the Reds. Not quite as, like, star-loaded as maybe the the Brewers and um, – well, the Brewers mainly I have Yelich, but uh, top-heavy in that sense is the Brewers. I don't know. I, I just think that if it's going to be three, it's going to be Reds. 
uh, Cubs or um, Brewers. Well, I actually had the Cardinals winning the division, even though I don't like care for St. Louis and don't care for the Cardinals. I like their pitching. I think their pitching is really solid. I think Jack Flaherty is going to take a step forward this year and become kind of a Cy Young contender type guy if he's not that already. Um, they've got good depth uh, with Nicholas Hudson, Wainwright, um, you know, they, Carlos Martinez is not even in the rotation. He's going to be in the bullpen. Um, so I, I, I think pitching is going to be pretty important. Uh, Brewers pitching doesn't really impress me. The Cubs, I think, are a team on the on the decline. Uh, the Reds are kind of interesting, but I don't think I don't think they have quite the pieces yet. I think maybe you could see that if uh, if they kind of develop guys like Nick Senzel and uh, some of the other guys they have. But so I have the, I have the Cardinals in the Central. I think the Braves are about ready to become a, another dominant you know dynasty. I have them in the East this year. I think Acuna is going to be a a monster this year. And then I have. Did you uh, say they are going to become a dynasty or aren't yet? Uh, I think they're going to be winning the East a lot here in the next couple okay. of years. So uh, in that sense, yeah, yeah, like the ninety mid nineties. Yeah, like the ninety mid nineties Braves that never won, that only won right. one World Series, fourteen straight titles. Respect, but yeah. no. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and then the, yeah, it's got to be the Dodgers in the West. I just don't see the Diamondbacks are interesting, but I don't. It's the Dodgers, the best team. So and then the wild card teams I have um, are the uh, okay. I'm going to forget this now. Oh, the Nationals. And then I have the Mets. The Mets are kind of they're kind of interesting too. They've got some guys that can hit the ball at the ballpark. They've got Syndergaard if he's healthy, Degrom if he's healthy, Stroman if he's healthy. It's a lot to ask for from the Mets, but if they're healthy, they've got a chance to be really good. And uh, you know, it's only a sixty-game season, so maybe they can keep those guys off the injured list. So, so let's uh, let's give our World Series matchup at the end. First of all, is it is it the World Series? Are we calling it the World Series even though it's after a sixty-game season? Uh, but but David, when I, the season concludes, who are the who are the last two teams and who, who's holding that trophy? Well, first of all, um, I have the Cardinals at eleven and forty nine. So <laughs> if... <laughs> that is my wish. I hope to be wrong, and I hope eleven wins is in their future. Well, I wanted to put them at ten and fifty, but I just couldn't. I couldn't bring myself to do it. That's um, overkill. World Series. I, I'm. This is this is where I got weird. Um, I'm going to say reds over rays and it's because we don't know anything about this season <laughs> this season is so stupid that i just felt like picking somebody weird and i think uh i think the the reds have i think the most well-rounded roster in their division which is why i picked them to win it um they they can hit they like i said have a good bullpen good rotation um, plus, they've got the secret weapon of Michael Lorenzen off the bench to hit some home runs and play some center field at late, in, late innings, and then come in to pitch a little bit. Um, I don't know. I just I feel like this is the type of year that some team that has no business winning the World Series will win it, and so I'm I'm taking the Reds over the race. Sean, what does your fall classic look like? Uh, I, I think we should really call it like the North America instead of the World Series because it's only like a quarter of a season. Maybe call it like the North America Series or something. I don't Especially know, since or the no other country will let uh, Americans. Into the country yeah. Right um, man, I I don't know. I really don't have a good answer for this one just because like I still can't decide. Right now, I've got written down a pretty chalky answer of Dodgers Astros. Um, the two teams that I just feel like are clearly the two best teams in the league. Um. But yeah, I mean, it's the freaking playoffs. So who knows? You know, I mean, the the Royals, you know, upset two teams on the way to their World Series uh, for the first time. So 
I don't know. I, I'm with that. I mean, the Nationals just last year kind of, I wouldn't say came out of nowhere, obviously, but, you know, kind of made that surprising run. So I'm going Dodgers and Astros for now, but I'm going to think on a little bit more. And then um, on Wednesday or when, when are you going to, whenever that one article runs that we, our official projections, all, all our official predictions, I should say, um, I'll have them locked in by then. But Dodgers, Astros right now. Man, that's a good way to make everyone in the country a Dodgers fan, have a Dodgers-Astros yeah. World Series. Uh, I have the Dodgers as well, but I also have David's pick, the Rays. I think the Rays could be really interesting this year, and they can make a deep run with the pitching that they have. Uh, but I have the Dodgers beating the Rays, and I guess what we'll call the Andrew Friedman Classic uh, to win his heart <laughs> for, for forever. Uh, but, yeah, I think there's a lot of – I think there's a lot of different possibilities. I don't know. You know, Dodgers-Astros, yeah, does seem really chalky, but – I mean, it's going to be a crazy year. Reds, Rays, who knows? Uh, we could see some really crazy things this year. Let's wrap up with our Royals review reviews. Uh, David, let's start with you tonight. So uh, one of the biggest things that has come out of never leaving the house is binge watching. Um, and the, the latest, so the other funny thing, in, in my family, the, the running joke is my mom asking me every time I see her, do you watch the Americans? <laughs> and Every time I said, no, mom, I don't. And then she proceeds to tell me about the latest episode. This is back when it was running. And I didn't really have any idea what she was talking about because she was talking about like a season four episode. So anyway, my wife and I decided, all right, we should watch the Americans. And that way, next time we see my mom, we can say, hey, do you watch the Americans? Um, turns out, damn good show. Um, it is. It's interesting. It's it's both heavy, but also in a way, like just kind of an easy watch. Um, you know, you can't be on your phone necessarily because there's a lot of subtitles from, from the Russian speaking, but um, it's, it's, it's just a really good show. Um, and the nice thing, too, it's it's network television, so the episodes are like 43 minutes, which means you can get through more than, a, than an hour-long drama on Netflix. So you get an extra... You, know, you, watch, you watch three a night instead of two before, before your wife needs to go to bed. So... Um, I would I would highly recommend that. Plus, you get a little uh, Carrie Russell Tush action, which I don't think anybody would complain about. That is, yeah, that's probably my favorite show of the last twenty years. I think that's a, a phenomenal show that has a great job of building up the tension, and just I, I mean, Carrie Russell's amazing in that show. Uh, so is Matthew Reese. We're, we're only on season two, so don't say anything. To yeah, you well, no, I'm just saying the act, uh, the um, and then uh, I'm forgetting the, the guy's name. The the, the neighbor uh, does a phenomenal job as well, and. Uh, even some of the supporting kind of role players do a really fantastic job. So yeah, it's, it's, you're in for a treat because that is a really phenomenal show. One, well, I think you struck the thing, landing pretty well too with the ending. That's good. One thing that I noticed: there are certain scenes when uh, Philip, when I when I watch him, all I can think of is that he's Zach Braff in well now <laughs> currently. But like there are certain scenes that I'm like, wait, did I turn scrubs on? No, there, there's no turf. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're they're certainly doppelgangers. Uh, Sean, what do you have for tonight? Yeah, I've got the Americans on my. T- been trying to. I've been having on my Hulu watch list forever, so I'll get around to it. Uh, you guys have pushed me to it, and uh, obviously we've heard nothing but good things about it. Um, I have got on Max. Or actually, both Dave and Max. You guys might have seen this. Have you guys seen the movie Talk Radio from the late '80s? No, I don't even remember Talk. it. Talk Radio. Okay. Um, it's got. Oh gosh, I can never say his name. Uh, Eric uh, Bogazian. Bo- Bogation, um, Alex Baldwin, Alec Baldwin. That's really about it. Oh, oh, John McGinley. Speaking of Scrubs, um, 
So it's this movie by directed by Oliver Stone, 1988 is when it came out. Um, it's basically, I think it, it really takes place over one, actually over a few nights, but uh, really it's centralized around a talk radio host and he's kind of like, not quite Howard Stern in the, in the crudeness, um, but in the sense of an opinionated talk radio guy. And it's based off a true story in the sense that, um, well, I don't want to spoil it, but it's based off of... Uh, something happened to this talk radio host back an actual real life talk radio host uh back in the 80s that inspired this movie um so really really great oliver stone again like i said it's there's this fantastic shot at the end or near the end um where it's basically just uh the, the main character it, he just goes on for a, a 10 minute rant about america and it zooms around the room and it's been it's just it's fantastic um Really not that hard to find. It's actually on Peacock, which is NBC's new uh, streaming service. Uh, it's available for free on there. Uh, so talk radio, absolutely love it. Movie I I was not born when it came out in 88, uh, but I saw it when I was you know a teenager or maybe in my early uh, 20s for the first time and then just rewatched it because it was on Peacock. Um, but just fantastic movie, uh, talk radio, so... Yeah, I noticed that it says Eric Bogosian actually wrote the screenplay, and if if that name sounds familiar, yeah, he right. was in Uncut Gems recently, and also yep. played kind of the Bernie Sanders type character in uh, oh, Succession. Succession. Yeah. So yeah. you've probably seen him yeah. a lot of things. I so. think it was a play as well. I think that's yeah. what it originally was. It's a play that got adapted by Oliver Stone for the screen. So, yeah. well, my uh, review this week is uh, Ike at the Bat. Um, it's written by Jordan Wolf, who actually used to write at the Daily Kansan and interned under Jeffrey Flanagan, and now writes at minorleaguebaseball.com, M-L-I-B.com. And he writes about uh, President Dwight D. Eisenhower, who, of course, is from Kansas, uh, once told reporters that he had a secret past, that he once played semi-pro baseball in the Central Kansas League under a fictitious name of Wilson. Uh, so what Wolf does is he does a really nice piece where he kind of looks into this, whether or not this is true, or this he's just... This is Eisenhower just kind of, uh, kind of building himself up to reporters, and he kind of looks through um, some some different names. He looks, uh, you find some Wilsons in the Central Kansas League, but none of them could have been Eisenhower. Uh, one is a kind of older guy that's bald, and Eisenhower would have been right out of high school, and so he still had hair at that point. Um, so uh, you know, kind of concludes that Eisenhower probably uh, you know may have played in this league, but we just don't know. He, it may have been he embellished it a little bit, or he may have been. He uh, took money to play in like an exhibition game against the Central Kansas League team because um, they were frequently barnstorming around uh, around the state. Um, as for why Eisenhower would lie about it, that's kind of interesting as well. Uh, Eisenhower would have played for this team out of, out of high school before he went to West Point. Uh, he would later play on the football team at West Point, and although there was no NCAA back then. There were many schools that uh, would not let you play amateur athletics if you had accepted money as a professional athlete. Um, so, and if he had actually, if he if he had uh, said he had played semi-pro ball, he would have been ineligible to play on the football team. And if he had lied about it, uh, he actually could have been expelled from West Point, which would have ended his military career, which could have, of course, changed the course of human history. Uh, because he later became the commander of the Allied Forces and later president of the United States because of that. So it's, it's kind of an interesting story. Um, you know, ultimately, we don't really know if Eisenhower uh, played semi-pro ball. It's, it's quite possible he did. Uh, but it, uh, just kind of an interesting, I, I like these kind of deep history dives, and I think Wolf does a really good job 
of, of looking into it and, and trying to figure out what, what actually happened. Uh, so definitely check that out at milb.com. It's called Ike at the Bat, Eisenhower's Rumored Baseball Past. Well, that'll do it for us this week. Thanks again to Matt Lyons of Let's Go Tribe for being on to talk about the Indians. And thanks to Sean and David for being on the show. And thanks to our readers and listeners for visiting our site. And we'll talk to you next time.